Hello listeners, Jamie here. Just a quick disclaimer at the beginning of this episode, uh, due to technical difficulties, the audio quality is not quite as pristine as usual, but we thought we would release this episode anyway because we had a lot of fun playing Apescape. So that's all and enjoy the episode. This time on PlayStation Rumble, we promptly pursue primates and do our best as we play PlayStation's DualShock Analog Stick debut, Apescape. Hello and welcome to PlayStation Rumble, where each episode we dive into the PlayStation library to unearth one game at a time. My name is Jamie and joining me, as always, is Tony. Hi there. And Joshua. What's good? Wow, that was... <laughs> it's something, and by the way, Joshua's here. <laughs> we keep him around. We keep him around. Uh, this, time <laughs> this time we are discussing the uh, PlayStation 1 platformer Ape Escape. So if you want to skip straight to the discussion, it is going to be on the timestamps in the show notes. And next episode, we're going to be playing quite a current game. Well, in fact, a very current game because it's not come out at time of recording. We're going to be playing Stray. I'm looking forward to that one, guys. I don't know if you are. Oh, 100%. I, I was on board for that game... The moment I saw the the footage when Sony did their showcase for the PlayStation 5 and they showed all their software and they showed the look of the console, they showed this game where you can, where you're just a cat. And I thought to myself, this is the game that requires the true power of the PlayStation 5. <laughs> have you seen anything else about it since? Because a few things have come out about the gameplay that, would, um, that I wasn't expecting. Yes, I I have seen the the cyberpunk setting, um, some of the little touches they have about you playing as a cat, the little robot that's with you and essentially uh, translates the dialogue for you. So I've seen a lot and pretty much everything I've seen I've liked. It's been delayed so many times and mm. I'm just happy it's, <laughs> I'm happy it's coming out and I hope it's good. The anger in your voice for that was more than the anger that uh, God of War fans have elicited uh, recently waiting for that release date. Um, I didn't realise it would be like you weren't doing platforming strictly, but like you would click and it would do the jump for you. And it's kind of got a more, not point and click feel, but... It's less skill-based. Yeah. I had uh, no idea what the game even was until I saw the foot, like the recent footage of it, the cyberpunk setting, and I was sold just because of the setting. I can't do worse than cyberpunk, that's for sure. Um, to those list, to those listening, Jamie likes cyberpunk. Just don't let him fool you. I like cyberpunk. Jamie's an av- is, a, is is a cyberpunk apologist. I look. I like cyberpunk. I'm not under any illusion that it did well out the gate. It's, it was a mess. Sold well, and isn't that all that matters? But then it got refunded well too. <laughs> <laughs> really pissed PlayStation off. That was a real cat fight. And, <laughs> <laughs> That's enough with the cat puns. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even realise. But before we discuss today's historic game, uh, there's just enough time to find out how your weeks have been. Joshua, how has your week been? Pretty good. I've been, I've been going through some games. I played the newest Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, Shredder's Revenge. Had a great time with that. Pretty good. I played... If only you had bought it for the PlayStation so you could have played it with me. Dude, it was like $4 for an Xbox code, so I loaded it up on my PC, and I have zero regrets. It's so sad in 2020, uh, in 2022, that we still can't play together, even though we have a game on a different platform. It's ridiculous. I agree. I agree. I've, I also went through the Iki Island DLC for Ghost of Tsushima. I didn't get the DLC. Well, I had the game... And then, like, two months later, the director's cut came out. And I was like, no, I don't want to go buy more stuff for this game when I already just bought this game. So I never got around to it. I finally did it. It was pretty good. I had a pretty decent time with it. And then I went through The Messenger. I got the platinum for that. And it was... Because, uh, of course, you did. 
It wasn't that hard, Tony. Come on now. Even Jamie could do it. That's the platform. That's the, like the uh, like the Ninja Gaiden type platformer, right? Like a side it's, like, it's like Ninja Gaiden, yeah. It's really good. I, I recommend The Messenger quite a bit. I played some of it before. I liked it. This just has the old NES, NES feel, uh, feel to it. It's on PS Plus Extra, and it's a really good time. Um, Tony, what have you been playing? You been playing anything good? I was flip-flopping for a while between Tales of Arise and something else that kind of escapes my mind as a second. Then I had a hankering to play uh, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X, and I put it down because it's kind of convoluted. Have you played the first game? I played the first one before on the Wii, and I really, really enjoyed it. Okay, yeah, that game that game is awesome. Yeah, I did not like the second one at all. I got rid of that one pretty quick. I'm with you there. I could not get into the second one because I'm not a weep. <laughs> um, Chronicles X is was the is basically right now the only reason to own a Wii U, and you know, but I played on my PC yeah. through the the Semu emulator because Nintendo refuses to port it. What sort of gameplay is it? It's like an RPG. It's kind yeah. of it's like an ARPG kind of. They're sort of like they're sort of structured like um, JRPGs combined with open world MMOs, okay. and they're pretty good, I would say. I haven't played X, but I have played the original, and it is one of one of my favorite games. It's definitely in the top twenty, I would say. Wow, Chronicles the one for the Wii is one I'd recommend because that one's pretty. That one's pretty dope. You can get it on Switch. It's called it's called Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. And Xenoblade Chronicles 3 is actually coming out at the end of July and I'm super stoked for it. It looks awesome. I'm cautiously I'm cautious about it after uh, part 2, which I know has a huge fan base, but Yeah, I don't I don't think I think it's the the gameplay mechanics look better and the character designs look significantly better than the second game. So yeah, I was playing X, and the whole thing about X is you can get mech suits, and that's like the whole huge selling point. And it takes a while to get it, and I'm on one of them. It's the game. The problem these games are they're kind of convoluted. A lot of times they don't exactly tell you what you need to do, and there's the mission structure is kind of all over the place. Like I'm trying, I'm on, I, I kind of put it down because there's a mission you have to go through like uh, ten little submissions to get your your suit, your scale, as they call it. And some of the missions are like understandable, like, okay, you have this gun, you have to test this gun and sword out, kill these enemies, and you know, blah, blah, blah. Go to the next uh, series of trainings. And then the next training is like, go to the other side of the island to find five of these fruit. And this game is designed around having skills. And so you have to trek your way on the other side of these uh, of the of the map. Going there, you can get lost very easily. You think you're going the right way, and then there's a huge mountain in front of you. Because like I said, it's... I think partially designed around skills. But then you have to go back around, go through a path, and maybe there'll be level 55 enemies there to get to sneak around because if they catch you, they're going to kill you, and they're going to set you back to the last checkpoint. And so I spent like an hour trying to get this, trying to get to one place. And I just, and then it wants me to do something else. There's these um, mining things around the maps. They want you to do a certain thing to get a certain percentage of, uh, of research data. And I just, I thought I was like, you know what? I don't have enough. If you have probes, I can do certain things like mining and research and something else. And I don't have enough research probes to get the amount that they want. And so I just I said, fuck it. I decided to move on to play uh, Persona 4 Golden, which is something I've been wanting to play through. I had 4 have on you know, the play. Have you never played it? I've had it for, I had it for the PS2, but I didn't. don't think I got too far into it because at the time... RPGs kind of can't hold my attention for too long, even though I got pretty far into part three, which is one I loved. But I got four and I played it for a little bit. And then I think life distracted me and I did other things. I think it was one of the last PS2 games I bought that were like brand new before. I didn't come out. I didn't come out around the time or right before the PS3 came out. Can I just say I played I've never played a Persona game before. I played four Golden on my Vita in the first lockdown. And I have such a special sort of memory of that game. And I came into it a bit worried because games that are really blown out of proportion, you just, you think, am I going to love it as much as everyone else does? And I completely did. And I played it for 100 hours and one minute. And that one minute really pisses me off. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, I've just, been playing, I've just been playing through Persona 4 Golden. I'm having a good time. Uh, I'm still very early in it. I enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It being portable, I'll be able to uh, keep my attention a lot longer than I would if I played it on my PC. It's just a lot more accessible to me on a 
on a handheld. All that being said, let's move on to Jamie. How was your week? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. This week I played Undertale. Oh, nice. Either of you played Undertale? I played it a few years ago. I have played Undertale. My wife has played Undertale. My brother has played Undertale. (laughs) Did you make them play Undertale? (laughs) No, actually, I was the last of that group to play Undertale. My wife actually played it for a bit, and she loved it. Played it all the way through. Only asked for my help a couple times. And it's like one of the few games she's actually gone through the entire way without losing interest. It is, uh, it's exceptional, isn't it? It's another game I came into really worried that the, the level of hype would not be met by my experience of it. Obviously, it's very clever the way it's kind of, uh, sort of not satirizing, but using like, uh, common JRPG and RPG elements and sort of playing off of that. Um, and I knew it was supposed to be like amazing and, and made by one guy. I forget his name. Tom something, isn't it? Toby Fox. Toby Fox. Um, what no one does tell you about the game or what I hadn't heard about the game yet is how, funny it is this game is just like got funny bones from like the beginning to the end of it oh it's hilarious it's very earthbound-esque with sense of humor yes i I thought it was earthbound when i'd see it in clips it's very you know they've obviously drawn a lot of inspiration from there but um you don't get a lot of funny games like like gaming is such an obvious vehicle for comedy you could do so much creative stuff in it you could use the medium in such a creative way and it just often just gets laid not games are serious you you certainly get a lot of games that try and fail like borderlands those games are so con- <laughs> those games are so Ooh. convinced that they're hilarious Ooh, that's hot, and that's they're not they're not funny <laughs> at all um but there are i mean there are a handful of games that's like i mean south park stick of truth i would argue is quite a very funny game uh, Portal is a funny game, but most games just kind of play themselves really seriously, like way too seriously. Like, oh, we're we're big boys, we're real media. Well, then you get into parody where games or a game plays itself so seriously that it's funny. Metal Gear Rising is a really great example of that. <laughs> that game is hilarious. Not only was it really funny, but it was really sincere and moving in moments. And I think that's such a hard balance to be kind of like self-aware postmodern humor. And pull off sincere and like kind of touching at the same time. It's such a thin line to walk, and wow, they walked it. Uh, if you haven't played Undertale and you've been thinking, oh, I'll play Undertale one day, do it, do it now. Short game, super cheap, super great. Um, another game that made me laugh, ironically, is this episode's title, which is Ape Escape. Ape Escape is a 3D platformer released in 1999 for the PlayStation 1. You control Spike, who is tasked with hunting apes across time before they rewrite history. Tony, this was your pick. So why don't you break down your history with it, and then we'll dive into that. I don't really have so much personal history of it. I remember it was actually like a system seller, in a sense, for the analog stick. I remember it just being heavily advertised. There was like a... I think my buddy had gotten a, a PS1 and came with the analog stick and he had the demo for Ape Escape. I think that's the most I ever played of it at the time. Because I was like, at the time, it was like 1999, 2000. I was like, oh shit, cool, there's thumbsticks now. Well, they you can really tell that, and we'll get into this a bit more later, that the analog stick was, the, was like the main selling point for this game. Because any chance they get where you can use those thumbsticks to simulate some kind of action, they take it. Anytime Whether it works can. or it doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. <you have> to... <laughs> the game always kind of interested me. I kind of played it at one point very briefly, but not enough to have like a full-blown opinion on it. And so that's why I chose it. It's considered a, a bit of a classic. And yeah, that's why I chose it. Yeah, it's... um I'd seen it a lot growing up. And I've seen various entries into the series. And I had a friend who was really into it. And he would always talk about how much he loved Ape Escape. But it was never a franchise that I personally got into. I've seen gameplay of it. I've seen my friends play it. But uh, it was something I had always known of from a distance. I never actually played it myself but so this was essentially my first my first foray into the Ape Escape franchise. Um I think I had like probably a common experience with this game in the 90s. Uh 
I knew about it because of the heavy advertising. I played it on a demo disc and then I seldom thought about it again until 2022 when we decided to play it for the podcast. I am playing it on the PS1 disc on a PS2 and I will tell you about why I'm doing that later. I'm playing it. I'm playing it on the PS5 via the PS Plus Premium service. We can't wait any longer. Everyone's on tenterhooks. It's that time for guess the Metacritic. Um, real talk. It's four one. Joshua found his way onto the scoreboard last week. I'm riding high. It's uh, Tony to go first this week. Tony, what do you think is the Metacritic score for Apescape? This is make or break it. I'm gonna declare. I have the exact number. I'll bet my my past previous wins on it. So this is unprecedented. Unprecedented. If I if Josh wins, he wins it all. But he's not going to because I'm gonna make a prediction. It was a bit of a very hyped up in a sense. You know, has a new newfound little two thumbstick controller. Looked nice. Plays well for a game of the error. Uh, I'll say a solid 90. Joshua. 83. And that's my final answer. Apescape on the PS1. Metacritic score scored 90. T, you sounded very confident uh, when you said that. Uh, <laughs> how, how, why were you so confident, may I ask? I just figured. It was very mm. hyped and it was well-reviewed. I remember it being very well-regarded. Uh, well, well done, T. It's 5-1. You, you, you can only feel proud of, with a performance like that. I hate you, Tony. <laughs> I hate you. And your stupid, well, Josh, and your I, stupid you, critical I, I, Metacritic mindset. That's you may, dumb. you may, ha- I, I, you have probably the most, the most marginally, the most marginally useful superpower. <laughs> hey, when Marvel are really reaching for their next movie, they'll, they'll be calling T. Um, <laughs> I've got a couple of reviews, short ones this week. Uh, this is from Kendrick. It is from 2019. And he says, this game is for dumb, stupid babies. I could beat this game blindfolded while my little brother's playing. I puke every time I see this god-awful excuse for a game. One out of ten. Uh, oh my gosh. He could beat it blindfolded while his little brother is playing? Yeah, it doesn't matter if he's blindfolded, if his brother's playing it. But um, maybe he means he could beat his brother at it. There are many games. Um, but a strong... A strong reaction there from uh, Kendrick. Maybe he's blindfolded and his brother's got the controller right. And he's telling his brother, hey, do this, do this, do this. Yeah. Hey, do the game good. Um, And on the other end of that spectrum, we have Ruben, uh, who said, one of the most memorable platformers on the PlayStation. And for a console that was overflowing with great platformers, that's truly saying something. The apes themselves beat most of Nintendo's staple characters in both personality and quirkiness. <laughs> with blue being, uh, with blue being my personal favorite. Uh, gameplay wise, it has everything a true platformer should have. Great level design, check. Multiple gadgets, check. Brain teasing, check. Awesome graphics, check. Um, and what stands out to me there is, is a very harsh dig at Nintendo. Uh, I barely noticed the apes being different at all or having very different characters. Oh, absolutely. They're like all the same. They even they even tell you in the game, oh, these apes are different based on their color. I, I just like... I mean, some like would run away quicker than others, which is basically the only difference. Or some had machine guns. That's Yeah. So a little bit of development about this game. It was uh, created by Japan Studio, a first party developer for Sony. Pour one That's out. known for games. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> so they went under basically recently, or at least got uh, a lot of the contracts didn't get renewed in like 2021. Only Team Asobi basically got um, saved from that, uh, which is a real shame because they made games like Loco Roco, Patapon, Gravity Rush, the Knack series, and like yes! the Team Ico games. <laughs> yes, I love. Oh my gosh, yes, we should do that. Some, we should play Knack. Um, <laughs> I swear I'll play Knack. Um, Why shouldn't we do Knack, Jamie? I mean, Joshua. I said oh, we should. I said we should. It's really I, hard to tell anyone it was the podcast a lot of, when it was a lot of sarcasm and <laughs> I would I would never be sarcastic when I'm talking about the the greatest game of all time made by uh who feels like the sort of Jesus of uh PlayStation. Mark Cerny is the Jesus of PlayStation. Or definitely an alien that's come to earth who only knows 
how to perform human normal human behavior by observing it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, weird guy. He's nice though. Uh, he, he <laughs> anyway, we well He has the there. platinum on Demon Souls and Returnal. Do either of you have those? He definitely hasn't played any of those, and someone's put that on his account. That's definitely <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so, um, it was two and a half years in development of this game. It released in May in North America. So it came out in North America first, um, 1999, and then June for Japan and July for Europe. Uh, it was the first game, as we've alluded to, uh, that made the DualShock or the Dual Analog Controller sticks mandatory. Um, and that happened basically not at the conception of this game. They were already developing this game when the team went for a meeting uh, about designing the new analog sticks on the controllers. And they saw that and then they decided to uh, implement that quite heavily into their gameplay. And I'm sure we're going to talk loads about that. Uh, it was not the first game to support analog sticks, though. Just the first one to require it. For a, for a penny, does anyone know the first game that uh, supported analog sticks on the PlayStation? Uh, uh, it's a big one. Metal Gear Solid. No, it's not Metal Gear Solid. T, you're um, just looking bewildered, so shall I tell you the answer? Is it Crash Bandicoot? I have no idea. Is it Wipeout? Uh, Gran Turismo. Gran Turismo was the uh, first game ever to sport Analog Sticks. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, I I never knew. I always th- assumed Ape Escape because of how much they uh, hyped it up. It was the first one that you had to have it. Um, it has 13 unique titles in this series uh, and a remake. There's really 13? Yeah, right. Um, and Well, there's 14 including the remake on PSP, but that is three main series uh, entries. Holy cow. Five spin-off entries, five party games, and he's also made an appearance in games like uh, Ratchet & Clank, uh, Metal Gear Solid 3, uh, and Little Big Planet. So he's, he's, uh, he's a known quantity in the PlayStation world, I think we can say for sure. Spike was also a fighter in PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Yes, he was. And we all didn't play that. I actually, <laughs> I actually did. I actually did own that game. I, I own it twice. I got it for the Vita as well, just in case I don't want to play it on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> that game is awesome. It's the best <laughs> one. I kind of wish I'd have another go at it. Uh, reviews of this game generally praised uh, the use of the analog sticks um sometimes it was said that it was quite awkward to get into at first but once you got the hang of it it was quite creative as well as the graphics uh the music and there was some minor criticism towards the voice acting i didn't realize this until i was researching the game after i played it but there's actually a pal and american separate dubbings uh for this game so i'm assuming you guys i played the pal version on because i was playing it on disc um i'm assuming you guys if you played it through the uh, service, that is the American one. I don't think they put the yeah, power. Yeah, we have the uh, NSCC version. Yep. So, so now basically, what I want to do is show you guys the English one because it's very different in its uh, in its vocal tones. I'm just going to share my screen with you. This is what the English voice actors sound like. Hey, Spike. Do you think the professor finished his time machine? He said he's almost done. Then maybe we can ride it today. If so, I ran <laughs> Hey, that is the first time! Wait, it gets, it gets better. Hello, Professor. Spike and Buzz. Spike! <laughs> he's just he's just German. Is he trying to do an Italian accent? I don't understand what that is. He sounds like he's supposed I to be German. I think it's slightly yeah. Germanic, slightly, you know, just sort of, yeah, nutty professor kind of vibe. Going. Not the nutty professor, but, you know, white hair coming out from each end, that kind of stereotype. Um, yeah, so the voice acting really different. Just for, like, a little bit of context, here are some other games that came out in 1999. Super Smash Bros., Final Fantasy VIII, mm. Silent Hill... Donkey Kong 64, Driver, Medal of Honor, Siphon Filter, what, what, GTA 2, Spyro 2, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Dino Crisis, CTR, Gran Turismo. It was a jam-packed year full of exceptional titles. A lot of killer games on that. Joshua, do you want to tell us a little bit about this fine narrative that they have woven for us? Yeah, so Ape Escape is really the inspiration for The Last of Us and games of that nature. (laughs) So it starts out. I nearly did a spit take. It starts out, and you got these these apes, right? They call them monkeys. They they use the terms inter- interchangeably. They don't have tails. They're apes. I'm gonna say that now. These apes, and they're they get a hold of this time machine, 
that's in the professor's lab and they start going around and in different time periods and the the leader of them his name is specter he's like he he was a circus monkey who got this like special brain device from the professor and it made him sentient and made him very smart so he's using these monkeys and sending them to different time periods to essentially rewrite history where the monkeys are in control so it's like planet of the apes but if it was made in japan right so they're very cutesy very quirky and you take control of spike who's this spiky haired kid and he's working with the professor and the professor's like spike you have to go solve it to go solve this problem so spike has to go through these different time periods acquiring different gadgets and he takes on specter and this other boy who has a history with him named it's it's it was buzz in the pal version but it was jake in the american version oh wow okay there are lots of differences between the the PAL and the NTSC versions. And we'll go over a little bit more of that when it comes to the voice acting, but the names, the name of the, of the rival is different too. So that's the setup for Ape Escape. What did you guys think of the story? I didn't know the story had so much to it. I just knew <laughs> angry ape escapes and wants to rule the world. That's, I didn't. The apes, the, as the, as the title, as the title implies subtly, <laughs> the, the apes, the apes do escape. They have escaped. They do escape. That is true. I feel like Futurama ripped this off in, uh, in one of their first season uh, episodes, in A Life in Mars. It's funny because the, the, the last set of levels, as it were, they're named Futurama. Yes. And so that was, that was immediately, that weird, what, that's immediately what I thought of. Hmm. Um, or maybe they ripped off the name as well. Maybe they, maybe the Futurama guys were just a big fan of Apescape. Futurama came out. I think came out, came out around the same year. I think. I think it came out in '99. It's about the same. Yeah. It's about the same time. Yeah, they very well could have. I now now I just want a version of Apescape where you play as Bender instead of Spike, uh, and then be like, go home. That'd be hilarious. Go home, <laughs> Jesus. He just gets all the gadgets out of his front. <laughs> Bender would be Jake. He wouldn't be Spike. Spike would be Fry. <laughs> He's. He'd say, I, I'll make my own I'll make my own ape escape with blackjack and hookers. <laughs> forget the blackjack. <laughs> forget the hookers. Nah, forget the whole thing. <laughs> um I just want to bend the game now. That's all I want. Rather than like fucking why who's making Gollum? It looks fucking awful. Make make a bender game. Anyway. Um what I really liked well, I say liked, what I uh, jauntily enjoyed uh was the first cutscene you get in this game. I think even before you get into the actual game. Uh, which is like a sort of two-minute over soundtrack um, of the apes uh, breaking free and putting on the mask on. And it's really, like, super 90s. Everyone looks like they're from, like, a sort of, like, from Wheatus, about to break into I'm Just a Teenage Dirtbag Baby. Everyone's got, like, spiked hair. And um, there's, like, a... I don't know if I like music or I hate it. I'm sure we'll get into it later. But it's just, like, this really 90s, uh, very PlayStation 1 uh, sort of synth music going on over the top of it. And when I watched that, I thought I sat down and went, "I think they're telling me this game is going to be fun." I think that's what this the, the, the sentiment of this opening piece was. Apart from that, the plot, I just, um, you know, I, oh. <laughs> well, the the plot you you get a lot of the plot primarily through cutscenes that are interspersed between levels, and in the cutscenes you get you get just people talking, and it contrasts heavily with the gameplay and. And it's hard to talk about the cutscenes without talking about the voice acting. Oh my gosh. This is this is certainly the most voice acting I've seen in a PlayStation 1 game. It it is <laughs> it is voice acting indeed. And um I I I'll, I'll just kind of say my thoughts off the bat. I know they're working with hardware limitations or whatever. The production value is 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 quite not different. Not vocal limitations, <laughs> or not vocal limitations. Uh, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro had better voice acting. Uh, I, Metal Gear Solid had like hours and hours upon multiple hours, dozens of hours of voice acting. That's true. I I would rather them have just not bothered. With the voice acting <laughs> in this game, um, the effort is commendable, but the execution is laughable. I laughed. Mm, I think so effort's poor as well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I was laughing so many times because of their delivery, and I know that's not at all what they're going for. But it's it it sounds like they're just in a room, and 
they've like put a towel over the microphone and they're like, just kind of, just kind of say this into the mic and we'll fix it in post. Yeah. What, what emotion? Ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. What's the emotion? Eh, just however you feel like. Um, yeah. There's bunkies and shit, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, the scientist in particular, he had the absolute worst voice. Oh, that. absolutely. The girl. The, gir- the girl's all right. Uh, the girl is a jerk. I hated her. You save her You save her in the last level, and she's like, why did it take you so long, Spike? Uh, Spike, you suck. Uh, I don't need your help to get out of here, Spike. You took like five hours. Bye. <laughs> So obviously we've had different experiences of this. Uh, my voice acting, the, it, my my voice acting, the PAL version of this voice acting, I would say is worse on the whole, but had more character than the American one. The American one feels like they've used quite broad American accents, something you would see on like any cartoon or TV. The English one is so fucking bad. Uh, they, it all sounds like a really low, uh, a low production uh, 90s children's TV show. It's really bad, but... Yeah, it's it's after the clip you showed me. It's so bad, it's funny. Yeah. And oh, what do you mean? <laughs> the voice <laughs> they picked for Jake or Buzz, who whoever specifically, is so not right for that character at all. It just feels it sounds so wrong. And yeah, it, <laughs> I think someone I heard someone describe it as a Teletubby. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> absolutely. That's exactly what it sounds like, and it is it's hilarious. Um, and not in a good and not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, so one bit of voice acting I really do like is that that girl who like seems to like you at the beginning gets quite bad and like uh, doesn't like you so much towards the end. Oh yeah. At the beginning of every level you play, she says something, and one of the things she does say uh, is, and a, in the English uh, in the English acting version of this is quite sincere. It just goes, "Do your best," and it's just really like no games really don't often just go, you know. You know, give it all you got. It's okay. And I really liked hearing that at the beginning of uh, a level, particularly if I was getting really uh, irate with the, with the game. But I don't know, in the American one, if that came off as sarcastic or if it was endearing. Yeah, I don't I don't quite recall. Um, there were lots of times where there would be cutscenes in between the levels where you just, you just kind of skip through them because normally it was oh, hey, we got this new gadget. And the professor would say, this is what this gadget does. And then you would do the sequence where they once again tell you what the gadget does and then you have to actually do it. Um, or they'll, or they'll tell you something that you've known the entire game at the last Yeah, time. yeah, they'll have tips. Do you know you can catch monkeys in this Press game? Press X to jump. Ho, ho, ho. I'm like, I, I've known that, dude. <laughs> Not only the, so she does, she does two, she does three things that I noted. At the beginning of an episode, she'll go, do your best. Um, but then if you died a lot, which sometimes, guys, I did, uh, she would go. One thing she said is, "You need to try harder next time," which really got to me, <laughs> like on a personal <laughs> level. And then the thing she said after that it was, uh, "You're getting sloppy." Oh, so she that was quite a, a quick mix between "Do your best" and "You're, you're getting sloppy." But um, do your best. You suck. <laughs> it sort of reminds me how when We Fit came out. And you would have the balance board and you'd step on it and it would also weigh you. And depending on your weight, it would make some kind of, sometimes it would make some kind of snide comment about your oh, weight and people were not yeah. happy about it at all. I wonder why. I wonder why, Nintendo. So, the gameplay is uh, basically a action platformer with some puzzle elements and slight combat. Essentially, as the title suggests, you run around catching monkeys that uh, or apes or whatever the game wants to call them when it sees fit. They're all in various places, and you just have to figure out how to get to them using your different gadgets. Uh, you have like a, uh, you give your basic net a light a lightsaber to beat them with. There's a radar to help you track them down. A helicopter that kind of acts like a glider. You have a slingshot to knock some. You can use it to knock them um, out of windows or off of uh, ledges sometimes. There's also a remote control car you can use to chase it out of areas that they are hiding in and also help you solve certain puzzles. I love. Can we just talk about the gadgets for a minute? Yeah. I love the gadgets. I thought the gadgets were a real saving grace of this game. I, I agree, actually. For the most part. For the most part, I agree. 
they made what could have otherwise been a quite monotonous game uh, have a little bit of variation and certainly did it better than um, some of the sort of vehicle segments in this game. And I thought most of them were satisfying to use. When I saw the hula hoop, hula hoop I was like, that's a real free in the morning, you know. <laughs> oh, that's right. Just like the hula hoop you use to uh, go faster. I saw, yeah, I saw that and I was like, come on. It was amazing. I love the little I love the little animation he does if you're standing still and using it and he puts his arms up and like actually hula hoops like wood in real life. I love it. <laughs> I didn't see that. Um I thought they were all cool. Uh, did you guys have a favorite? I mean, I really like I really like using the hoop and I really like using uh, the helicopter thing. That thing was banging. I liked both of those. I also really liked using the remote control car. And how you're controlling Spike with the left stick and you're controlling the car with the right stick. I thought that was, it was so simple, but it was really effective. Yeah, I thought all, uh, they all had their uses, uses as even the radar at a certain point. At first using the radar is kind of pointless, but when you get to the layer levels, you kind of need it. They were all very well used. All their strengths were very well implemented into the game. I think the only gadget I didn't like is after you beat the game, if you go back through a level, you get this gadget and i don't remember what it's called but it's like just this big fist that extends and i actually that was like the gadget that i didn't like because it's sort of multifunctional but it it's so touchy and slow that i was like eh, it doesn't really seem all that fun to use but i didn't really go back through any of the levels after i beat the game so i didn't try it out a whole lot i don't know if you guys used that one i used it it was certain it was more or less designed for the certain walls you can use to break it down. And I think it's one enemy type where it can kill it, kill one of the enemy types. Mm. As soon as, as soon as I get the platinum, I just put the game down because it's really easy to get the platinum. Oh, I, me too. Absolutely. I wanted to get this. I wanted to get the, the, I was planning to get all the monkeys or the apes or monkey apes to get the, do their, like the real final boss fight. But I didn't, I didn't have it in me. Wait, 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 wait. There's a real final boss fight in this? Yeah. I didn't know. He says, come I, back and fight me later. Well, he doesn't mind one. Come back and fight me later. I, <laughs> I, thought it, I thought it was a sequel tease the whole time. So did I, but I had to look it up and it's like, yeah, you get all 6,000 apes and you can fight him. Like, I'm, I'm straight up. 6,000 apes. <laughs> it's kind of like the last act of Banjo-Kazooie. <laughs> The one, uh, the one thing that uh, I really didn't like was, uh, I think, and it's generally to do with the movement in this game, but particularly using the gadgets, like the net to catch the monkeys, uh, or when you're like hitting with the lightsaber, we're going to call it a lightsaber because that's what it is, uh, to do the action, you have to physically stop moving, So, which is really annoying when you're chasing someone who's running away from you, and then you have to stop, do the action, and by that time they've always gotten away a little bit, so I did find that marginally frustrating. I think my biggest issue with the controls is they've designed the game around the analog sticks, obviously, and analog sticks are inventive in where previously you had eight directions of movement. Now you have potentially 360 degrees of movement, but Ape Escape, despite utilizing the sticks, didn't and I don't know if this was a technological limitation or not, but you couldn't move in whatever degree you want it even if you push the stick in a particular direction it either at least for me it wouldn't register or it you would get the closest angle to it so there were lots of times where i would miss catching an ape or hitting an enemy because um the direction i was aiming in wasn't one of the directions that registered correctly i think i might know what's going on there Basically, the gadgets work to the direction you're pushing in reg- in relation to the camera angle and not where your person, not the character. So if your character's facing right, so he's side on from you facing to the right of the screen and you press, what I, what I would do, and if a monkey was in front of me, is press up to try and catch it because pressing up is like shooting the net in front of you. Uh... But it's not shooting the net, it's doing it from the camera angle. So it would go, if I press up, he would turn to his left and go up. Um, yes. I never caught on to that. That explains so much. At first, I was having the same problem Joshua was having, but then eventually, I noticed if I just hit the up the stick up, he would do it directly in front of him. I I never I never even th- considered that that was a possibility. Yeah, I mean, I can I can give him a break on that. Uh, cut him some slack because it was an entirely new idea, and it kind of sure later in the production is when he kind of added the controls in. 
analog sticks in general were kind of new to the consoles at the time. It was only for a couple of years, so sure. I still think it worked pretty well, all things considered. I think I think they use it in enough different ways where they can really shine. Like when you row the boat and each stick controls. I an thought aura. that was a pain in the ass. ass. I mean I mean, so it it doesn't resp- it doesn't respond well. It doesn't respond well, but the the idea is there. I'm not sure if it's a problem with the game or just the modern controllers, because I think uh, the older games are. I want to see the more sticks up- might register differently. Yeah, because I know if you um, I was I'm, I'm watching like a I'm watching a playthrough with someone playing Crash Band uh, not Crash Bandicoot playing Banjo Kazooie two on the 360, and the guy's like, yeah, when you play it on the N64, it'll get a lot more precision for like the, doing the aiming, and when you try to do the Xbox thumbsticks, it's a lot worse. Well, the well the N sixty four though you had divots in the stick, so the yeah, stick you had about eight directions, didn't you? Yeah, something to that effect. So you, it was designed without that precision in place. Whereas um, Xbox controllers obviously had the three sixty directions. Yeah, like I'm just I'm just for an example. So I'm I'm wondering if the original analog stick was more, you had more, you could be more precise with it compared to the modern ones. Maybe I don't know. I don't know either. Or maybe it's just, it's one one of the first games to use dual analogs like that. So it could just be uh, a technical limitation. Or like me, you're just an idiot and didn't understand how the game works. No, 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 Joshua, I was having, it was a pain in the ass to to row the boats. I think like most people, I found it a bit awkward at first and then I got used to it. The sort of dual analog stick doing it for the different things. It kind of, you, you grew more used to it. I never grew used to R1 being jumped. That really threw me off sometimes and caused some deaths. But what I also never got used to was the camera angle was so bad. And explain to me this. So like Mario had come out by this time. Spyro had mm-hmm. come out. Banjo-Kazooie. There's no excuse for it. Um, if... If you can press L1 to center your camera behind you, why isn't it just following you there like it should, like, you know, so I don't have to, like, press L1 every three seconds or, like, manually change the camera? That was jarring. It caused, you know, leaps of fate. Um, and I think this game would be so much better if, the, if that camera had been floating behind you. Yeah, and if... And because the the sticks were being used for so many different things, you could, they couldn't just let you use the stick to control the camera. So... Yeah, I'm with you about the camera. That was something. Did we really need the stick to do everything like that? I, the stick, been, they were so close. They were so close. I haven't <laughs> had to let you control the camera of the uh, this camera of the sticks. They were so very close to having. It was a bit like this sometimes. It was a bit like rubbing your belly and tapping your head at the same time with the different things. But, oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think they meant that. Yeah. So throughout the game, you go to. Uh, about three levels per world, and uh, I do not remember all of the level types. I know there was like a... all the classics. There was like a, a jungle... The, prehist- the prehistoric jungle. There was the, the, the token ice world, right? Yeah, the ice world. There was a water there was world. the beach world. Yeah. The futuristic world. The futuristic world. There were a lot of... I mean, all the things you expect, and then a couple kind of unique ones... Did you? Right. I, I thought the level design was actually quite good. You're the one of the of the dinosaurs, right? It was like a dino world. Yes, and it it was chrono it was chronologically going through uh, the history of the Earth, wasn't it? From like dinosaur period uh, and up to like medieval period at some point. And then, uh, all right, the you do the day. medieval. Yeah. Um, I liked that. I mean, it came out a year after Crash Three. That's all I'm saying. But uh, but still, still <laughs> nice enough as an idea. Um, although. Sometimes you would feel like you're getting turned around in, in a level because there's no sort of clear signposting. You're just kind of going along and sometimes that splits into two paths and you're kind of, you don't really know where you are. I felt like I never really had to know where I was because I wasn't going for like trying to get all the monkeys. Um, and the requirements were so low for every, like out of six, maybe you have to get four that you could just wander along a path um, and then happily get those four and go out the level. And I did get stuck on one bit in this game. It was like a stupid bit that um, I could have easily just skipped, but I just thought I wanted to see how this was done because it was like picking my brain. And I went to see a walkthrough of this game and I saw this guy doing the same level as me and he'd played a completely different 10 minutes than I had because there was so much variety uh, and so many monkeys and you only had to get so few that we both played the same level and went on and basically never touched the same thing. Uh, so I thought that was cool. Yeah, I think the the level design does it's structured in a way where you're just kind of you just kind of burn through 
and whatever path you pick, you're going to find the apes. I don't think you see any problems with the level design unless you're trying to get everything. And that's that's where you start to run into issues where it's really hard to get oriented. It's kind of hard to map out how the levels are because there's a lot of load screens in between portions of each level. And a lot of other platformers at the time, like Mario or like Spyro, you didn't really have that. You had one load screen to get into a level and that was it. And so you could just kind of go through, see the level, kind of pick your path and always know where you were. And that that was not true in Ape Escape. Um, but I will say that the 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 base design of the game isn't hindered by its level design. I, I think overall it's pretty good. But once you obviously if you're going for everything, you're gonna you're gonna start to find the cracks. Yeah, and the game's is and the game is designed to where you can't get everything. You have to go back to layers levels later of different uh of different equipment because there's some things you're locked out of, like you can't get through certain that the car has to go through certain walls to get the enemies, or you can't get across something, get a monkey, you know, uh, across a lake or across a gap because you need the helicopter. So they didn't, you couldn't, even if you wanted to get every ape in a level, you couldn't because there was something that was always going to block you to get at least one. Yeah, if you're going to go for 100%, go through every level, roll the credits, get all the items, then go back. I thought the level design was good. And I thought the movement was okay, but when I compare it to things like Spyro 2 came out the same year, as I said, we'd had Mario, we'd had Crash Bandicoot. This feels more closer to something like uh, like just coming out after something like Jumping Flash rather than something that's coming out at the same year that, um, you know, all these sort of epic games were coming out. I just felt it was a bit undercooked in that regard. There's not a lot of movement options for sure. It's just like you run... And you jump. Well, you have the gadgets, but like the level design, like compared to Spyro 1, the level design in that is incredible. Everything works. The movement's really good. And that wasn't happening all of the time in this game. Yeah, the level design uplifts the movement. It makes you engaged with the character and like everything you can do and find those little quirks. Whereas that's not really the case in Ape Escape. You can't... The game, the game's design doesn't really encourage you to to level break until you go back through and the way the base character is it's just he's okay he controls okay yeah there is a bit of a stealth element there's certain monkeys i think the one in the blue pants where you are able to you can try to do all of them but i know that there's different colored pants and different colors signify how alert they are so you get the one in the blue pants blue shorts where you you can basically walk around in front of them or crawl around in front of them, and they're just going to look at you like you're not even there. I think this is like the yellow ones, which are a little more alert. We get to be a little more uh, strategic. And then there's like the, I think the red shorts were there. If they, as soon as they see you, they they run away, or if they have their Gatling guns, they're going to start shooting at you. I thought the stealth worked fine enough, you know. It was my best friend sometimes, that stealth. What I did like about the stealth is the music would change. When yes, you went down, really cool. when you started crawling, and I'm like, I I'm all about a dynamic soundtrack, so I was a sucker for that. I I do wish that the stealth, I don't know, it was it was really slow, and it was I would say fairly situational. Um, overall, I think it was decent, I, and I haven't played any of the other Ape Escape games, as I said earlier, but I. I hope that in the future, in the later ones, that they sort of flesh that out a bit more so it felt better to use and that it was more of a a more efficient option than just going up to a monkey, whacking it, and throwing your net at it. Because nine times out of ten, that's just, that's just the most efficient option. Can I say I didn't realize you could hit the monkeys until I was on the last level of the <gasps> no game? What? No one told me that. Because also, you don't have to read every sign. They don't make it mandatory. And I and at the beginning, I didn't realize you actually have to go up and hit signs to make some of them. Operate. So, what do you think the lightsaber so I, was for? But did it? Did uh, it well, I mean, you used it on other enemies. Wasn't there? A what, didn't the tutorial for the lightsaber? He was like, "Yeah, you're going to hit the monkeys with the lightsaber to knock it down, knock them out." I'm pretty oh, sure. I was just cutting with the camera, basically, for the first half an hour, so I wasn't really... I was steaming. Um, so I caught every single monkey just by running up to it. With a net How position. the 
fuck what? did you do that? That's why I found it really hard when you had to stop to fucking pop them. So you just hit them and they... Oh my god! Some of us like to play the game on hard mode, guys. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if Joshua's going to be with this, but can we just you know note how awesome it is to have the rewind function? Because... Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, you got to play with that I, as well. Some of these sections oh. I would not have want gotten through. On that Chinese themed level when it's up in the air, I died a few times on that. Just some section. I think there's like one where like you had to run across this bridge, but the bridge would fall apart as you're running yes. across it. Yes, oh. that was the exact oh my God. same that was section. Twenty minutes of my that life. That was the exact same section where I used the rewind feature. I'm not one to use a function like this unless. It's a game I don't really give a fuck about, or whatever. Very certain circumstances have to. I had to. I'll use a rewind function, or if I'm just messing around, I want to see how things. Will, what would happen if I do this, this, and that? After like the third or fourth time I fell, and it takes like two minutes to climb back up there, I went no. I'm just. It's. <sighs> I, 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 I did it so many times already. I'm rewinding, yep. and I did. It, I did it a few times. Absolutely. So the graphics in this game, they really have that PS1 charm, but you have these these models like with the apes and they have these really exaggerated expressions to where they're making the most of having little detail to show. So they have to exaggerate some of the proportions, exaggerate what these characters are doing, sort of make it really over the top so that it's very readable what the monkeys are feeling like with their big sad eyes or their big uh, angry eyes or, you know, what the, what the, what the characters are doing. So I, I think, I think overall they look, the graphics look really good. Um, The environments, the, the, the enemies, I think they look generic. Like a lot of them, it's hard to tell what they are and they don't utilize the setting of the setting of each of the worlds to inform the enemies they just sort of recycle them and i go in the pre i go in the prehistoric era and i got these like little orb things with feet <laughs> jumping at me i'm like i'm not a paleontologist pretty sure that's not a dinosaur so um what did what do you guys have to say about the graphics overall i think like the gameplay itself it's not as high as i would want it to be for 1999 i mean Metal Gear Solid came out in 1998. And all those games I mentioned before that came out in the same year, some of those were smaller teams. Um, it's just a bit too polygonal. It, again, it's closer to Jumping Flash than to, you know, Spyro Crash 2. Crash Bandicoot 3, yeah. What it really made me appreciate is how Nintendo really strike this balance of having really colourful, bright palettes, but not oversaturating it to the point where you feel a bit claustrophobic by it or nauseous. You don't want it to hurt your eyes. Yeah, and I think this game sometimes was an assault on the eyes, um, but I take it over the sort of other version of the PS1 game, which is a grey, dingy dungeon kind of thing. <laughs> you mean the, an Xbox 360 game? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, what, what I basically want to see is Apescape running in the Resi engine. There we go. <laughs> I, need a, I need a gritty Apescape reboot. Uh, I, uh, I agree with everything Joshua said. I think uh, it looked nice, you know... The graphics, you know, were simplistic, but you could tell what each monkey was and what they were about and which type they were just from their expressions. You know, you had the the dopey ones and you had the aggressive ones. And I thought they looked fairly well, all things considered. Yeah, the apes are the easily the most important part. And I think that they did a, did a good job characterizing the apes in terms of their visuals. But I will say that Jamie brings up some good points about how the games look compares to other other games released at the same time that it does lack in a few areas. So if you guys don't have anything else to say about graphics, um, let's talk about the sound design. Jamie, you talked a little bit about how the game sort of opens with these synth tunes and that you're mixed about it. Can you go into that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I think people quite like the 
soundtrack on this game, I think it, I don't know. I think for me it was slightly generic. Every PS1 game, whether it was like a racing game, whether it was Roll Cage or like uh, a platformer, had this kind of sort of like house, late 90s music and I thought it was okay but it hasn't wowed me. Usually Tony sends me the files for the music after we've uh, recorded the game and I listen to it and I go oh I wish I'd said this and that about you know the the soundtrack of this game it was amazing. I think when Tony sends me these files I'm going to be like yeah we probably gave it credit in the episode. <laughs> there are there are no tracks in this game that stick out to me like when we did Jack and Daxter even though the music wasn't phenomenal there were still tracks in that game that stuck out to me Crash Bandicoot has tracks that stick out to me. All of Spyro's soundtrack sticks out to me. Uh, Tony, what are your thoughts on the music? I agree with you. I really don't remember much of the soundtrack. I just know there's like over-the-top cartoony circus music at one point, and then that's all I really remember. It's nothing really, there's nothing really memorable or that stands out as something that would stick with me. So God help me, if Tony sends me these tracks and I listen to them and I go, I've done it again, this was amazing, I'm going to edit in now, here, and uh, and write the wrongs of time. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was nothing to write home about. Yeah, the, it, it was really forgettable. Hi, this is Jamie, editing the podcast, and I just wanted to interrupt the podcast to say that, yes, Tony did send me the soundtrack for Ape Escape, and yes, I've made the same mistake that I do every time. This soundtrack is fantastic, as you would have heard from the musical interludes in the podcast. It is this uh, exceptional, like, playful 90s drum and bass synth music. It's so varied for every level, and I think maybe its only sin is when you're actually playing the game, it does blend in and becomes a much of a nothingness. But apart from that, standalone, the soundtrack is absolutely amazing. Back to the episode. I think it was really evident, and this kind of goes back to the voice acting, but the sound mixing in general, it almost it was almost like everything was muffled, and it wasn't super clear, and that comes through in the voice acting, that comes through in the sound effects, that comes through even in some of the tracks. So I think overall it was just kind of a muffled soundscape. Um, I like the sounds for a lot of the gadgets. And the sounds themselves aren't bad. I think they're appropriate. But it's just the quality of the sounds is is lacking, in my opinion. It was good. You would know audibly uh, if you'd alerted a monkey, because they would react in a certain way, and that was useful. I'll give them that. Well, if you guys don't have anything else to say, let's wrap this up with our final thoughts and our scores. My final thoughts for this game. When I started playing this game, I thought, I'm going to have to slog my whole way through this game. I got over that pretty quickly. I didn't mind it. And then at the end, I think as it went on, I, th- I actually think it got better. I think there was great variety. I think it was shooting for something very specific and it didn't always hit it. Uh, but when it did, there was just these little pockets of magic throughout the game. So I am going to give this game a generous 7 out of 10. T, what did you think? I try to, like always, I try to look at it from the time. And it did a lot. It tried to do a lot with a new control scheme. It wasn't always successful in certain aspects. Uh, It was kind of like a showpiece or even a tech demo of the controller and what it could do or what it could be. I had fun of it. It was all right. It was a good little time. I'd probably give it a 7.5, maybe 8. You have some little fun of it if you like platformers. Uh, I don't have much, much more to add to that. So, uh, Joshua, what were your feelings? I I echo a lot of your a lot of both of your points. Um, it's a good game. It's I think overall it's a well made game. It's a solid game. I even even for the time I do think that it falls short when compared to its competitors like Crash, like Spyro, other games of other games of that nature. I think if there was a version of this game where the controls were refined, I would probably love it. But as it stands, I just like it. I think it's a decent time worth a visit. I don't think it's super remarkable in any way. Overall, it's a fun time. 7 out of 10 for me. 
if that's all everyone has to say, that's the end of our podcast. Uh, thank you for listening to us. If you enjoyed our conversation and would like to follow us, we're on social media. We're on Twitter at PS Rumble. If you have any questions, comments, complaints, concerns, email us at PlayStationRumblePodcast at gmail.com. And uh, that'll be it for us. Our next game will be Stray. And that's scheduled to be released at or around August 4th. So for now, that would be it for us. So this is Tony saying goodbye. Goodbye. See ya. Do your best. (laughs) (laughs) It's not good enough. That was sloppy. (laughs) I love the gadgets. I thought the gadgets were a real saving grace of this game. I, Um, I agree, actually. For the most part, for the most part, I agree. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I agree with that. Agreeing with. Uh, I, I agree with you. Agreeing with me. Agreeing. <laughs> I agree with your agreeing, with Joshua. Um, I agree. <laughs> <laughs>